All right. Good morning, Mountain View. So glad to see you all. Uh, I'm assuming you're there. Hopefully you're there. Hey, just wanted to take a couple of moments and uh, let you know <clears throat> that we really do want to connect with you. We'd love to hear from you. If you have a prayer request, if you would like to give, if you have any type of concern or need, um, and you can go to our website, mvcclive.com, and uh, submit those prayer requests. You can give online. If you have a specific need, you can email us this week, info at mvcclive.com, and we will try to do our best uh, to meet that need. Hey, we are going to continue in our series called Red Letter Jesus, and uh, really what we're talking about is, is this phrases, these red letter phrases, the, straight out of Jesus's mouth while he was on the cross. And really we were doing this to prepare us for Easter time. And so we want to continue on this week as we look at those red letters. And as I've been preparing, this is like amazing holiness. I almost feel like this is holy ground type of scripture as we work on it and work through this. And so we're going to study today. We're going to look today at this one phrase. It's really two words that Jesus spoke while he was on the cross. So let's dig in. Hopefully you have your Bibles. If not, we're providing it real small on the screen there for you. John chapter 19, verse 28 says this. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said, To fulfill the scripture, I thirst. Let me read that again. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said, To fulfill the scripture, I thirst. And the first question that we have to ask is this, what is Jesus offering to us right here in the midst of this phrase? When Jesus says, I thirst, what is he trying to tell us? What is he trying to offer us? Why did John record this? And at first we might assume what we should assume, he's hot. He's in pain. He's been nailed to the cross. He's been up there for six hours, and the hot Middle East sun is beating on him, and so he is thirsty because he's on the cross, he's in the sun, he's hot, he can't do anything about it. And interestingly, one of the things that people died when they were crucified, what they actually died from was not the pain, but they would die of dehydration and thirst. And medical professionals will tell you that deadly dehydration feels like a burn, as if you were to burn yourself with steam or if you were to touch the hot stove, it would actually feel like that on the inside. And so dehydration is like this burning sensation that's going on inside of us. And if you're being crucified on the cross, you'd probably feel that way. And so we assume, of course, that Jesus says, I thirst because he's on the cross, he's in the sun, he's been up there a while, he's dehydrated, and he is thirsty. And I've assumed that too. But upon further study and deeper study, looking at this phrase, I thirst, I have a different perspective. And what I hope to do is help you have a different perspective also. And here's what I know. Up to this point, Jesus hasn't complained about anything He hasn't complained about his physical pain. He hasn't complained about his situation. He hasn't complained about his circumstances. He didn't complain when they covered his eyes and they beat him with rods and then said, hey, you're a prophet. Why don't you prophesy who hit you? Jesus didn't say a word. He didn't even open his mouth. When they flogged him 39 times, 
with a cat of nine tails that would literally go into your back and begin ripping and tearing his back into shreds, Jesus didn't say a word. He didn't say a thing. He kept his mouth closed. He didn't answer. And when they put thorns, a crown of thorns, on his head, and when they pounded the spikes into his arms and into his feet, Jesus said nothing. He accepted it. He submitted to it. Jesus was there to do what Jesus had to do. And so I asked the question, if Jesus didn't cry out when he was beaten, if he didn't cry out when he was flogged, if he didn't cry out when they nailed him to the cross, why did he do it here? Why did he say, I thirst? And the answer is because something more than physical thirst is going on with Jesus. Something more than just being, I'm thirsty, is going on. And if you've been around Mountain View long, then yeah, you already know it. You know what I'm going to say. Was he thirsty or was he thirsty? Was he thirsty or was he thirsty? And, and I don't for a moment believe that Jesus lived his life thrown by his circumstances. I don't believe that Jesus was altered by his circumstances. I believe that Jesus lived a very intentional, a very missional, a very purposeful life. He lived a highly calculated life. When Jesus spoke, what he said was important, and he said it. As a matter of fact, Jesus would often say things that were messianic or prophetic about the Messiah. And he fulfilled a lot of these prophecies. Now you could go to the Old Testament, you could start in Psalm 22, and, and you can work through Genesis chapter 3, you could read through the, the prophet Isaiah, his writings, you could go, even go to Deuteronomy and Exodus, which we'll do today, and you can see that Jesus fulfilled all of these prophecies, these messianic prophecies about the Messiah to come, and, and Jesus fulfilled them by the things he did and by the things that he said. He wanted the world to know. And he wants us to know, even in the moment of the cross, that he is the one true Messiah, that he is who he says he is. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to take a journey, and I want us to think about what Jesus is doing here. When Jesus said, I thirst, I believe that there is purpose, there is reason behind it, that the phrase was a calculated thought. And what I want to do is I want to journey back to Exodus chapter 7. In Exodus chapter 7 through chapter 11, we've got these plagues. And these plagues hit Egypt because God wants Pharaoh, who is the king of Egypt, he wants him to release the Israelites from slavery. Now, Pharaoh, years before this, became threatened at how fast the Israelites were multiplying and the, their nation was growing. And so he brought them in as slaves. And it was now time for God to raise up Moses to go to Pharaoh and to release, have Pharaoh release these slaves into their freedom. And eventually, after these plagues hit, we get to the big plague in Exodus chapter 12, which, which the plague declared that the firstborn child of every household would die unless you marked your door with the blood from a sacrificed lamb. So then in Exodus 13, Pharaoh finally caves in. He releases the Israelites free. And in Exodus 14, the Israelites cross over the Red Sea. If you remember this, on dry land, Moses raises the staff and, and the sea parts and they cross to the other side. 
And God has been so faithful. He's revealed his faithfulness and, and he's kept his promises. They're out of slavery. They're out of captivity. And then in Exodus chapter 15, this is where it gets interesting. The Israelites, they start complaining because they don't have anything to drink. They're thirsty. Look at this with me, Exodus chapter 15. It says this, Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days in the wilderness, and they found no water. They were thirsty. And when they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. Therefore, they called it Marah. And the people grumbled against Moses. Imagine this. They've been freed, they've seen God's faithfulness, but then they come to this moment where they are thirsty and they begin to grumble against Moses and they said, what shall we drink? And so Moses, he cried out to the Lord and the Lord showed him a log and he threw it into the water. So Moses picks this log up, throws it into the water and the water became sweet. And in Exodus 16, not only are they thirsty and has their thirst been satisfied, now they're hungry. And so God opens up the heavens and he sends bread from heaven all over the land for them to gather and eat and have their full. But then we get to Exodus chapter 17. And the Israelites were in this area again where there was no water. They were thirsty. They wanted something to drink. And this time the people grumbled against Moses and they said things like this. What has God done to bring us out here and to kill us all? And so look at this, Exodus chapter 17, verse 2. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us out of Egypt to kill us and to kill our children and to kill our livestock with thirst? And so Moses cried to the Lord, What shall I do with this people? They're almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand the staff in which you struck the Nile and go. And before I will stand before you, and behold, I will stand before you there on the rock of Horeb. And you shall strike the rock and water shall come out of it and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders and of Israel and so he called the name the place of Massa and Meribah because of the quarreling of the people of Israel and because they tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord among us or not? Is the Lord among us or not? And I find this really interesting in Exodus, water from rock. And Jesus is known to be the rock of all the ages. And God sent Moses to the rock, and water came from the rock, rock and, and, and Moses and God had made a covenant that day. And the Israelites asked this question, is God with us? Is God among us or not? Is God really here or not? And so fast forward to the cross. Is it possible Jesus said, I thirst I thirst because he was trying to say, you might be wondering if I am or not. You might be wondering if I am the one true Messiah or not. You might be wondering if I'm really the Messiah. And so Jesus says, I thirst. 
Now, we're not like Jewish people. We carry around our Bibles, and we have Bibles on our phones, and we have Bibles in our homes. But for the Jews, they didn't have Bibles to carry around. They would hear the Scripture, and they would put Scripture in their memory. It was required to recite commands of God when you would leave your house. You would touch your doorpost or your door frame. You would wear scriptures in boxes on your head. You would recite these scriptures until they were in memory. And so all of a sudden, imagine Jesus is on the cross. He is about to die. And he says, I thirst. And immediately the Jewish person who would have been in his presence would have gone directly back to Exodus when their people, when their ancestors were in the wilderness, when they were thirsty and complaining. And they were instructed to go to the rock for water to get a drink. And so it's not just thirst or thirst. It's rock or rock. Do you remember John chapter 4? This incredible encounter between Jesus and this Samaritan woman at the well. We've studied it before, but I want to go back to it. I want to look at it again because I think it's such an incredible passage for us to really comprehend this idea of being thirsty. John chapter 4 verse 1 says this, Now when Jesus learned the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John... Although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and he departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria, so he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there, and so Jesus, wearied as he was, as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. So it's about noon. And here's Jesus, he goes through Samaria, which normally you would travel around Samaria, and he finds a place to sit where most Jewish people would have avoided going in the first place. And it goes on, verse 9, and the Samaritan woman, or sorry, verse 7, and a woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, give me a drink. Essentially, he said, I'm thirsty. I thirst. Give me something to drink. For his disciples had gone into the city to buy food. Verse 9. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. And then verse 10. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Verse 11. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and this well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and as did his livestock. It's really interesting here to watch as Jesus interacts with this woman. He wants a drink of water. She says, I can't give you a drink of water. It would be improper for me to give you a drink of water. And so Jesus says, but you would have given me a drink of water. And then you would have asked for the water that I can give you. Verse 13, Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. And the water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. What in the world is Jesus talking about? 
where is he going with this? You see, we have to understand that thirst in the Bible is a metaphor, a metaphor for spiritual emptiness, for spiritual emptiness that comes when God is not the center of our lives. You see, it's one thing for us to believe in God. It's one thing for us to believe in him in an abstract way and to say, I believe. But it's another thing entirely when we make God the center of our lives, when God becomes the center of our soul and our heart and our mind and our strength, when God really becomes the center, then we will understand this eternal life, water welling up. I like what the psalmist wrote in Psalm 42. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O Lord. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God, is what the psalmist writes. And the psalmist is saying, it's not just believe in God that my soul needs. It's not that I just need water to drink to satisfy my thirst. It's that I need this, otherwise I will die. And the spiritual agony, the spiritual agony is as bad as the physical agony of dying of dehydration. It's not belief in God. It's about meeting God. It's about knowing God. It's about experiencing God. It's about putting God the center of the reality of your life, that he is the center of your soul, the center of your heart, the center of your mind, the center of every part of us. We can believe in God. We can believe in God and we can still make our professional success the center. We can make our relationships the center. We can make our friendships the center. We can make our family the center. We can make sex and romance the center. We can make influence and money the center. We can make our health and retirement the center. And we can still, we can still miss what Jesus wants to be in our lives. So what Jesus is saying is this. If you put the bucket of your heart deep down into anything more than God, you will be unsatisfied. You will still be thirsty. You will still want more. If we, if we put the, 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 the bucket of our heart down into anything more, than the glory of God, any, anything more than the beauty of God, anything more than the comfort of God, we will be thirsty again and we will never be satisfied ever. And so this is how it goes. John chapter 4 verse 15, the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here and draw water every day. Man, she hears what he's saying that I can give you a water that will satisfy your thirst. And she says, I want that. I want that. I don't want to have to come here and draw this water anymore. She wants this water that Jesus has to offer. And look what Jesus does. Verse 16, Jesus said to her, he almost changes the subject. And he says, go, call your husband and come here. In other words, go get your husband and we'll talk about this water thing. Verse 17, the woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you're right in saying I have no husband. 
For you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband at all. What you have said is true. And when I read this, sometimes I think, whoa, Jesus, she's getting ready to turn her life over to you. She's getting ready to make you the center of her life. And she wants to talk about this spiritual thing like like living water. And Jesus, you change the subject, and you bring up her broken, messed up love life. Jesus, what are you doing? What's going on here? Why are you doing that? And Jesus, who's not afraid to go there, he goes there. In other words, he addresses the need. I read this, and I think what Jesus was saying is this. He's saying, listen, listen, lady, let's talk about your messed up love life. The reason you want closure And the reason that you want a man in your life and the reason you want a man in your arms and the reason that you want a man to tell you that he loves you, the reason that you want so badly all those things is because you have a deep thirst and your thirst is for God. And the reason your life is going so poorly is because anyone who you look to for anything more than what God can offer you, if you look to anyone else for that love that you're seeking besides God, For significance, for meaning, for hope, for love, you'll be thirsty again. You'll be thirsty again. Anyone who continues to do it and continues to look for satisfaction anywhere besides God will continually find themselves thirsty and hungry and unsatisfied again and again and again. I love Jesus. Because he's being tender and he's being compassionate. But he's being compassionate and he's being confronting and he's being convicting. And she believed in God. She had belief in God, but needed God as the living reality in the center of her life. That's what she needed. We need the love of God so we don't look anywhere else for what God can only offer us. When we get close to God, who God being perfect and just, being full of grace and full of truth, when we encounter God that way for all that he is, we will suddenly realize and become profoundly aware that we can't live up to our own standards. We especially can't live up to his standards. And this is why I believe Jesus said, I thirst. This is why I believe Jesus said on the cross, I I thirst. He's not talking about physical thirst. He's given us a picture of what he's going through. He's given us a picture of what's going on with him. Jesus is making it possible for us to stand before our perfect and just, our our holy and true, our our righteous and perfect, our, our full of grace and full of truth, God. Jesus is experiencing that ultimate thirst He's bearing the sins of the entire world before and after. He's doing this. He's dying for the entire human race over all the evil. Jesus is thirsting so that we can have living water. Jesus is having the ultimate thirst so that we can become the fountain of living water. Jesus died so that we know the love of God, so that we can be the river of life that begins flowing within me and out of me. And so go with me again to John chapter 19. Listen to this, verse 29. After Jesus says, I thirst, a jar full of sour wine stood there. 
And so they put a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch and they held it up to Jesus' mouth. And when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. He said, it's finished. And Jesus bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. Jesus said, it's finished. And it literally means totally paid. Totally paid. By the standards of the world, Jesus in this moment, he's totally helpless. He's absolutely 100% defenseless. Jesus on the cross couldn't even scratch his nose. He is powerless. He is dependent. He is impotent. He is about to die as he hung on the cross. And what does Jesus say? He says, I did it. I did it. I've triumphed. I've accomplished it. It is finished. And what did he accomplish? What did he finish? What did he do? Peter gives us an indication in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. It says this, For Christ also suffered once for sins. He suffered the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. He did all of this. He was thirsty so that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but being made alive in the Spirit. This is what I know. And this is what I want to leave you with. It's done. It's finished. It is complete. We have nothing to prove to God, and we have nothing to beat ourselves over because Jesus did it. He's taken that for us. And that's called the gospel. And the gospel makes it possible for me and for you to drink from the rock of ages, to drink from the living well, to drink from that river of life that will satisfy our souls. And then, when we have drank, we will do our best to love God and to serve God who has already filled the void so that we might be in relationship with him. Do you remember what Jesus said at the start of his ministry? This thing we call the Sermon on the Mount. When Jesus stands there and he gave us what's called the Beatitudes, this is what he says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. The kingdom of heaven is about a relationship that we have with God. That's what the kingdom of heaven is all about. It's about being in right step with God. It's about being in relationship with God. It means that we seek a life of righteousness, his righteousness. We are not righteous because of what we do. We are righteous because of what he did. When this happens, my inner thirst, my hunger, and my appetite, my desires, they become quenched. When I enter into that relationship with Jesus, he makes me full. He makes me satisfied. Jesus thirst so that I could be satisfied. And if I thirst, I, I have to figure out, why am I not getting full? If I'm still thirsty and I'm unsatisfied, it means that I'm going to all the wrong places to look for that satisfaction. So I have to ask myself, if I'm not full, why not? My righteousness is about what I hunger and thirst for because of what he has done for me. 
the real thirst of Jesus, the real thirst of Jesus, as he was on the cross, was his greatest hope that he would receive, that we would receive him and become life-giving people ourselves. And so the question is this, what do I thirst for? And I'll ask you the same question, what do you thirst for? I'm certain of this. In the middle of all the uncertainty, it doesn't take much for us to think about what matters most, what's most important to us. If you're thirsty and you're trying to find satisfaction in all of those other places and you believe in God yet yet he's not really become the center of your life and I would love to talk to you this week I'd love to connect you with one of our pastors this week one of our leaders you can email us at info at mvcclive.com we'll connect with you we'll have a conversation we'll talk to you about what it means to drink from the well from the rock of ages, from the living river of life. We'll talk to you about all of that. This is what John said in chapter 7. This is what he wrote. He recorded Jesus. This is what it says. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and he cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart, Out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit has not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Jesus had not yet said, I thirst. And so maybe you already believe in God. Maybe you already have faith in God. Maybe you already believe that that he's the creator of the universe. But is he the center reality of your soul? Is he the center reality of your heart and of your mind and of your strength? Are you serving him and are you serving others or are you serving yourself? Are you loving like he loves? Do you look to others through his eyes? Do you hunger and thirst for his righteousness? See, the Christian life is a journey where we all have to go on this journey. And hopefully we arrive to the same place where we realize it's not about my needs. The Christian life in this journey is not about my needs, not about my security, not about my rights, not about my desires, not about my wants. The Christian journey, the Christian life is all about the greatest need that I have being met through Jesus who then makes me strong enough, strong enough to put others before myself. Becoming a mature disciple of Jesus who understands it's not about my needs being met. It's about the well of water within that comes and begins to flow out of me and begins to meet the needs of other people, becoming a life-giving person just like Jesus is. Go back to Jesus on the cross. He's stuck and he's dying. And what does he say? I thirst. He says, I thirst. And Jesus didn't say this because he wanted something from us, he didn't want us to do something for him. 
He was trying to give us a bigger picture about the journey where we arrive and where we conclude that everything, everything is about pouring ourselves out. So how are you pouring yourself out? Do you thirst? Do you hunger for his righteousness? Powerful words for us to consider and think about and ponder today. If you are in a room with other people, your family, maybe today, maybe you reach out, grab hands, put an arm around a shoulder. With those things on our mind, let's go to God and let's pray this morning. God, I am grateful that you have met us in our place of need. Uh, that, God, that you came and you initiated on our behalf, uh, that you aligned all of history to this single point on this single man, Jesus, and took care of, fulfilled for us, poured out on our behalf all that we needed so that we might have hope and life in eternity. God, I'm thankful for those that are able this morning to gather around and to, to share that with one another in the rooms that they're in. God, I pray that uh, the encouragement that we receive today for being in your word and these truths being in our midst, that we would take those with us this week. And I, and I know that there's parts of us that are limited in our usual travel and behavior and patterns and rhythms. But God, help us to see and to look for, to be ready for the opportunities, though they may be different than what we would normally experience, to pour ourselves out to the world around us, to see where with a neighbor we can provide a meal, to see with where a coworker we can give a phone call, see with where a member of our group we can connect with an email or, or see him on a video conference and be an encouragement, speak peace and speak the name of Jesus and the hope that comes through him in the midst of difficult times. God, I pray this week we would set aside our anxious thoughts and God, our concerns and set them at your feet so that we might look to you and feel your peace and your presence with us in the midst of uncertain times. God, the reality is, is right now or any other day of our life, we don't know what holds tomorrow, but we know you hold it in your hand. And you love us, and you have taken care of it on our behalf. So God, help us this week to embrace that truth and reality to look outside of ourselves and like Jesus' great example pour ourselves out so that others may not thirst in the name of Jesus we pray
We're going to continue just like we do every week, whether we're gathered in the big room here or in our homes to take communion. So if you have your communion supplies, go, go gather them up and bring them back. And uh, we're going we're to share that moment together. Really appreciate you sharing your innovative uh, communion last week with us. Some of you uh, sent in some pictures and, and shared how you took communion together. And I'm glad you did that. And I'm glad you didn't uh, allow what we normally would do to get in the way of taking a moment to stop and to give thanks. So today, as we take communion, I want to go back to the last supper meal that Jesus celebrated with his disciples. And, and you are gathered in a room very much like Jesus was. Jesus wasn't in a big auditorium like we normally are in. Here at Mountain View, he was, he was in a, a room, a small room, like you were in today. Your front room, your living room, your bedroom. He was gathered together with what would have been his family those years. Twelve disciples. Some of you this morning gathered with your family in your room. They took a meal. That was very much a traditional part of their culture. And Jesus took a part of that meal and began to change it. And he, and he, and he grabbed what's called the bread in the, in the Bible. When we say bread, we, we think of the, the white loaf of wonder bread. That uh, doesn't break so much as it does tear and pull. And, but in the Passover meal, there was no leaven. And it would have been much more like a cracker. So take, take your bread, pull it or break it. And grab hold of it. Jesus said, take this in remembrance of my body that is broken for you. Thank you, Jesus, for sacrificing your body on our behalf. And he grabbed a cup and a, a drinking cup of some sort. So I grabbed a cup and I put some juice in it. And he said, take and remember this is my, my blood poured out. Jesus emptied all of himself. Everything. He gave of his life. He gave of his blood. And took on our sin. And he said, it is finished. So we say, thank you, Jesus, for giving of your blood. Our hope. God, thank you for bring the entire history of humanity to the focal point of the cross on our behalf so that we might be reunited again with you forever when Jesus comes back. In his name we pray. Amen.